We're continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, Word is Truth Christian Church. It is uh, 8-1-2021, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here we have the thought of the week entitled, More Than You Can Now Bear. One thing we should learn in life is to respect our limitations. I know there is a lot of talk out there about positive thinking and believing that there is nothing we cannot do. I am not trying to be negative here, but biblically realistic. There are some things we cannot do, and there are some things we can do, but we need God's help. One prerequisite in believing the good news, the gospel, is we have to first hear and believe the bad news. What we inherit from Adam can be considered limitations to knowing God. Or, quote, there is no one who understands, unquote, from Romans chapter 3, verse 11. And this says the Apostle Paul. However, all is not lost. God has a solution. That solution depends on us realizing our depravity and helplessness presented to us by the Holy Spirit and reaching out for his solution. There is no shame in us realizing our condition and looking for help. As Paul writes again in Romans 7:24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this, sub- from this body that is the subject that is subject to death for sure when we align with God's power then all things are possible and we are able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us from Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 yes there are quite a few prerequisites to understanding things of a deeper nature and and higher level. And certainly before we can talk about what God's, what Christ's mission was on earth was really all about, we first have to come to that first gate and cross it, which is believing the good news, understanding the bad news, which is no fault of our own. It is something we inherit from Adam. And then understanding the good news, which is entirely the work of God and not ours. So we can accept this work on our behalf. It is free. It is by grace that we are saved. And then we can apply ourselves to understanding why we are saved and what comes after this. And we can can look at these things with humility um, and not holding ourselves to be knowing um, what God is thinking, but we can, with humility, let God teach us what his reality is for us. And that's the thought of the week, as well as my commentary on that. And now I'll turn it over to Fred for prayer. Thank you, Delight. At this time, um, I want to ask, is there anyone in need of prayer? Well, we're going to um, I'm just going to name Dave's daughter, Lenora, and Kenny, Gail's husband. All right. I'm sorry, I had it on mute. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for watching over us and keeping us and bringing us to this day. Lord, it is with great gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord, that um, we have been brought the news about SoundCloud and the word, your word is truth, our church. Lord, we're especially grateful, Lord, that you have allowed us 
to play a small, a small part in bringing your many sons to glory and spreading the gospel and the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Might, you, might we all be encouraged, Lord, to continue this path of spreading this gospel. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've allowed us to play a small part because you've even said that this message of salvation will go out to the world and the rocks could cry out. So we're grateful, Lord, for all that you have done in allowing us and showing us and enlightening us and bringing us, bringing to bear the impact so that we might be encouraged to go forward in spreading your word. Lord, we at this time also ask for prayers for Dave's family, those that will support Lenora and her trials and tribulations in the hospital, that they might support her and love her and give her what she needs to see her through this. And Lord, watch over and keep her. Uh, you know her battle and might your will be done and leading to healing for this young lady. Also, Lord, we'd like to pray for Kenny, uh, my brother-in-law, um, that you would continue, Lord, to watch over and keep him as you have brought him through many battles. And Lord, we're asking again that your will be done and encouraging and keeping her family, Estelle, and her two children especially, and supporting and loving him. Thanking you, Lord, for again having allowing us to have an impact and seeing your plan that was formed from eternity past come to fruition, and, and that plan, its ultimate plan, is bringing many sons to glory. We're asking that you continue to watch over our pastor and, and each and every member that we might understand and. Continue to renew our minds and continue to have humility towards your word uh, and go forward. These things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Dwight and Fred, uh, appreciate that. We are going to move forward right into where we are. It's um, in John chapter 16. 17 and 18 it reads and hopefully you have the notes at this some of the disciples said to one another what does he mean by saying in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me and because i am going to the father they kept asking what does he mean by a little while we don't understand what he's saying so we would like to look at that. Now, the reason why we were, we were able to conquer, let's say conquer, or at least attempt to address two verses is because we sort of had the understanding last week about what this was all about. And we talked about the fact that it was about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we were able to go a little faster. Uh, so in your notes, I do not believe the disciples should have had all the answers to the questions they had in their minds. In some ways, having questions is healthy and keeps us engaged and always leaning forward. The spirit of truth lives and is here to lead and guide us into all truth. He loves for us to earnestly ask questions for which he alone can provide answers. There is a problem I see today, and it is that some feel that asking questions may be weakness. If we are on the edge of what we do, what we know and do not know, for some that is a place of vulnerability. It is not weakness, rather. It is humility and the perfect place for us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. So hopefully 
you're you're with me and we're looking at our notes and we're going to dig right in there's a lot of points here it looks like but i think we can move through it pretty quickly so let's get to it so uh the first one is at this some of his disciples said to one another what does he mean by saying in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me so the first point is at this so once they heard what Jesus said about in a little while, and then after a little while, they were intent on understanding this in detail because it directly related to what they did not want to hear. And I get that from John 16, 6 and 7, which says, Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, because uh, uh, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that's the first thought. Yeah, they didn't want to hear this. That, the disciples recoiled at the thought of Jesus leaving them. So in their minds... They just wanted to figure out a better way. How can, how can we get you to stay? What can we do uh, to help you to understand that we need you here and we don't want you to go away? So you would think, and that leads us to point B, of all the things they could have had questions or be puzzled about. And when we look at John 16, verses 8 through 15, Verses 8 through 10 deal with the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, about righteousness and judgment. And about and he goes into detail about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I would love for Jesus to elaborate on that a little bit. Let's imagine if we were there, what would we say? Would so the thing the disciples keyed on was, oh, what was that about this whole thing about in a little while you won't see me anymore, and then after a little while, they were keen to focus on that point. And of all the things, I mean, they could have said, what does he mean by there's much more to tell you more than you can now bear, but this spirit of truth when he comes and uh, he will speak only what he hears and he will glorify me. And There's so much that they could have explored but did not. But the, the one thing that they did want to explore was what pertained to them. That's the thought. Point C, we're moving forward. Or point B, uh, they have questions about the emotional roller coaster. That's the end of point B. And, and the reason why I say that is because that's what was prominent in their thinking, right? They probably, Christ said that about the Holy Spirit and it, it, it didn't even register. I mean, I'm sure they heard it. And that's one of the things that Jesus said the Spirit would do. He will remind you of things that I have told you. So sure, uh, they were distracted, right? Already because of the emotional grief and things that, they were experiencing because they didn't like the news that Christ was was giving them. They wanted different news. Point C, I would say it is often the case with us. The Spirit is ready to teach us about the unsearchable riches, about the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but we are only interested in what is important to us. And I would say part of that is spiritual growth, right? When as we grow up in Christ, you know, our focus a lot of times is just really a selfish focus. We're focused on the things that interest us, things that we think are exciting. Um, a lot of people gravitate toward uh, revelation and prophecy. I know I did when I was, uh, you know, first came into the faith and I started reading those things about Revelation. I said, man, that's exciting. I want to know about that. I want to, I want to be able to know what's going to happen before it happens. I just thought that was exciting. And, uh, but that is it. You know, we're, we're not so, so focused on 
the things that God thinks we should be focused on. Right? He, he has a, a more mature perspective. I mean, you could liken this to uh, a little kid saying they want ice cream for, for dinner. You know, that's all. That, what do you want? I just want ice cream. Uh, they don't want anything else. But the parent understands what the child needs for dinner. And he said, well, I may give you a little ice cream, but you need to eat something that's going to cause you to grow. That's going to be good for your spiritual growth or, or your physical growth. And that's the way God does us. Right? He, he doesn't say, oh, well, I'm not going to tell you about that. He tries to give us a little bit to keep our interest, but he also wants to help us grow in grace. And that's important. We're, we're like that. We're, so the disciples were not unlike us. In many ways, we can see ourselves in them. So point D, some of the disciples said to one another. Now, that's the phrase, some of the disciples said to one another. So they were clearly distracted by this statement. So what happened? They lost focus. Imagine they're sitting there, I mean, this discourse is going on for some time, and this is what they are starting to muse about. What did he say? Did you hear him what he said? What did he mean by that? Now, remember, it's not like it's a whole crowd of people. It's just the disciples there. And for them to have side conversations going on when Jesus is trying to continue to give this discourse is, I'm sure, it's interrupting Jesus. It is a distraction. So, you know, if you're trying to talk and then, I mean, and Jesus is trying to give this discourse and all the words that Jesus says are important, if you ask me. But for some reason, they got distracted. And obviously, we already know why. They were grieving. They lost focus. Uh, And so that goes to point E. Jesus didn't have their attention. How do we know that? Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while? So he knew this. So he he says, wait a minute, you've interrupted me. You've got all these side conversations going on and you're not listening to me. So I might as well stop and address what it is you're saying. But notice, you know, they were asking one another. And they were clearly distracted. So he was forced to address their concerns. He really didn't have a choice. If he wanted to continue to have willing listeners to the discourse, he would have had to get get control of the conversation. And that's what he, he does. He says, well, I know you're asking each other about this. And um, I know you're pondering it. So this is, leads into point F. It's interesting, the key information about the spirit of truth was not pondered. And you would think, wow, he said some deep things. Now, we're speaking from the standpoint of where we are now. So we can understand that the things that Christ said about the spirit were immensely important. I mean, by them, to this degree, that should have been the large takeaway. In other words, if... If they would have got anything from the discourse from John 14, 15, 16, and 17, they should have gotten that this was the takeaway. The spirit of truth is coming very soon. And we are go- the things are going to change. And you know, all of that, that should have been the takeaway. But no, the thing they're focusing on was the death, burial, and resurrection. Not to say that wasn't necessary. It was. But it's to say that uh, that is not quite the focus of what Jesus had just spoke of in the immediate context. So, um, if anything, the spirit of truth should have been the leading thought here, and it wasn't. It wasn't what they took away from the conversation. And, you know, I, I will just pause for a second, and I think about this today. I don't hear many people talking about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Do you? I mean, uh, this is not for you to answer. It's more rhetorical. But 
do you really hear people talking about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth? Now, you, yes, people are going to, you're going to hear it. It is a term. But most of what I hear is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, um, you know, the Spirit, but not the Spirit of Truth. When you hear the words, the Spirit of Truth, what does that make you think of? Even if you were not, if you were not spiritually minded, would you think of when somebody said the spirit of truth what would you think of what i mean at the very least i would think that here is some spirit that makes people be honest tell the truth or say things that the truth that maybe they don't want to say but it is the truth or, or somebody that is very honest that's the very least that i would think if somebody said the spirit of truth but when we talk about it's God, the Holy Spirit, and he's bringing us information that we didn't have previously, information that was hid in God and all of that, I would say that is of utmost attention, right? And this is detail that we need, especially, to be focused on. But in the world today, that is not the takeaway either. It wasn't the takeaway for the disciples that the spirit of truth is coming, what's this all about? And it's not to take away for the Christian church at large. I'm not saying there are no people focusing on what the spirit says. I know there is, but I'm saying what is the majority of uh, information we have about how people respond to the spirit of truth? And it is not through what we have understood to be the mystery and uh, the unsearchable riches, the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that were hidden. All, right? all of this revelation that the Spirit of Truth has brought to us. Uh, it is not about your being honest or your being able to tell uh, objectively things that are true. Like, did you go across the street or did you not? Well, uh, I, I, didn't, I, I did go across the street. That's the truth, right? That's not the kind of truth we're talking about. The kind of truth we're talking about that the Holy Spirit is revealing is about the Father's plan. That's the truth that he, he has to do with. And, and that's how we ought to know that. When we hear the familiar ring of truth, in other words, somebody else is also talking about the Father's eternal purpose, then we know that the Holy Spirit has something to do with that because there's no way we could possibly know this information otherwise. Point G, now we can see why we need the guidance of the Spirit. And how important is that? Verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And we need that guidance. I mean, desperately. We, there's absolutely no way we could figure out what God did before time began. We couldn't know that he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that, that he has chosen us out of this world for that purpose. There's no way we could understand what our role is and what the assets and privileges that we have through those ministries of the Spirit. There's absolutely no way. We'd be lost in that. So we need his guidance, his leadership. I would, I would say, where would we be if we did not have the, Spirit's the Spirit of truth to guide us? I mean, to tell us things that eyes have not seen, that ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. The only way we can get this information is by his Spirit. That's what, but the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. <clears throat> There's no way we of ourselves can learn this information. This is information that the Holy Spirit has blessed us with. We are here because, and talking about the things we're talking about, because the emphasis and priority of God the Holy Spirit is this. And there's no other reason why we could possibly have something to say or comments about things that we could possibly never know. Point G, where that was point G, point H. 
What does he mean by saying, and this is uh, the disciples again, uh, at this some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying? So they were, imagine, they're talking amongst themselves. uh, And yet, this is the question, what does he mean? Now, if you ask me, and I would go all the way back to chapter 13, and I would read all the way through, I would say that I kind of understand what he means. But you know why I can say that? Is because I'm not filled with grief and upset and panicking. and I'm not. The disciples were. So it's easy for me to look back retrospectively and say, yeah, I can see um, the importance. I, I understand what the takeaways are. I, I understand what... God's priorities are for the church, but they did not have that at all. So, so when they were saying, what does he mean by saying, they did not like what Jesus was saying and would have figured out a better outcome for him. That's what really they were working with. And if I go back to John chapter 13, this is literally what happened, right? So John 13, 36 through 38, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Remember, Christ says, I'm going to go away. Uh, where I'm going, you can't come. Right? So, so Peter says, well, well, wait a minute. Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So instead of Peter accepting that as a, a, a proper answer, you know what he says? No, that's not good. Uh-uh. Uh, we're going to figure out a better way. So he says, uh, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I'll die if I have to, defending your right as Messiah. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So that, for somebody to go from, I'll die for you, to, I don't even know the man. I don't know. Me? I'm associated? No, I'm not. I'm not associated with that Jesus. No, no, no. You got it wrong. So three times Peter did that. And the third time he was, and he even displayed some anger just to make sure. He, he, he called down curses. He said, wait a minute. No way am I of this man or anything. And that was just like Christ said before. The morning, Peter, you will deny that you even know me never mind laying down your life for me you will deny that you ever even knew me in the first place so uh, imagine what peter wanted was a different outcome and he was looking for solutions right and we do this i remember i say i remember because at work a problem would come up and i'm not working anymore but that was what we would do we would look for ways that we could resolve the problem, given the resources and the knowledge that we had and wisdom, we would figure out, okay, well, this happened. Okay, well, you know, that's not the end of the world. These are things that we can do. The problem is this. Oh, well, since that's a problem, we know how to handle that. But that's what Peter thought when he was attacking this problem. He figured, well, there must be something I can do. And no. The answer is no, Peter. There is not anything that is within your power to do. Point I. So Jesus was not discussing options with them. He was telling them of the Father's eternal plan. And there's absolutely nothing that Peter could have done uh, in the first place. So, and this is why I'm saying we have the benefit of seeing retrospectively, which is, you know, we, we have hindsight, as, we, as it were, and they did not. We can look back and say, well, see all the things that happened there? Yeah, this is what I would have done. But, but that's only because we have the wisdom and the knowledge of what God wanted. It's easy for us to say. For them, it wasn't so easy. They did not. But they did come to understand the priority of truth. And how do I know? That's Ephesians 2.20, where it says they are part of the foundation of the church. 
along with Christ as the chief cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2.20. So we know that they figured it out. We know that the spirit of truth uh, taught them and led them into all truth. Otherwise, they could not have been the foundation of truth. And I ask at the end of point I, have you? Have you understood the priority of truth? Now, I know I'm really uh, talking to an extended audience here because uh, I know the people on this call already know <laughs> and have understood the priority of truth. But I'm asking the question to broaden this out because as the disciples were befuddled by the circumstances, by the grief, all the things that were going to happen, so we can too by life. We can be confused, disoriented, by things that are happening in our lives. And we may not understand God's priority properly. God's, God has an agenda. He's, he's not just like floating along. Whatever you do is fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. He's going somewhere. He has a plan. And all I'm asking is, are you on board with, with what God is doing? The disciples, even though we're looking at their... Uh, how they vacillated back and forth. And uh, one minute they wanted to fight and die. The next they ran and, and, and scary. They scattered. Even at the end of 16, we're going to get to a verse where it says, Jesus says at the end, he says, a time, verse 32, a time is coming. In fact, has now come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. And imagine that. Yet I am not a, alone for my Father is with me, Jesus says. Yeah, I, The disciples have to get a pass here. That's what I'm saying to you. We can't look at them as, oh man, they were so dull. And you know what? Jesus said they were dull too, but guess what? So are we. If the, if the shoe fits, we have to make sure we put it on as well. And often we have to be told multiple times of things before they become reality to us. Then after they become reality to us, we are like to other people, oh, you're so dull, you don't see that. Why don't you see that? Right? Well, it's because it took us uh, years probably to see, and yet we uh, just don't remember anymore about what it was for us to grow in grace. So take your time with this information. This is why we go verse by verse. We don't just want to read 10 verses and then let me summarize what those 10 verses say. Let's take it verse by verse. Let's take it phrase by phrase. So let's point number two. Let's keep moving. Point number two is, uh, and, well, let's read the whole, at, at this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Point number two is, and because I am going to the Father. So this is another thing that Jesus said to them that did not sit well with them. What do you mean you're going to the Father? Do you know what he means when he said going to the Father? John, do you know what he meant? Peter, do you know what he meant? So they were asking one another. They were puzzled about this. So Jesus has to address it, even though it wasn't in the context. So let's dig into the points, and I think we're going to get all of this. So uh, the question, the first question is, when and where did Jesus say this? Obviously, if they're saying he said it, then it must be somewhere in the context. Right? That so I found a couple places where likely they are mentioning. So the first one is John chapter fourteen and verse twelve. Uh, John 14 and 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, and here it is, because I am going to the Father. And there, there's the exact phrase, uh, but more so, more to the point, would have been 16 and 10. 16 10 says about righteousness, notice, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. So these are things that distressed them greatly. The fact that, that Jesus was going to depart. He was not going to be there anymore for them physically. 
Uh, it caused them great grief and trouble. And so instead of them, like I said, focusing on other things that were even better, Jesus says, is it better for you that I go away? They're like, what are you talking about better? That's the worst thing in our minds. But, but in essence, it was better that Jesus left and sent the Spirit because that is the inauguration of the church. That is huge. We're talking about a change and dispensation and God's calling out those many sons into glory. So uh, that's what, so it, those couple verses, I would say, one is in the immediate context uh, and the other one is broader context, but he, he's talked about the Father much, even if you wanted to include John 14, one through three and what he said in, in the end of 13 as well. All of that would have caused the disciples to be confused. What do you mean? What do you mean? So point B, in our immediate context, Jesus did not say this, meaning he talked about the Spirit, he talked about all this stuff, but you know, he, it wasn't like Jesus had just said this information. The disciples added this because this was also something they were puzzled about. And that's why you have and because I am going to the Father. It's not just what Jesus said, but let's just think about all the things that are causing us grief, and let's talk about them. Let's see. Do you know what he means? And they ask one another all of these questions. Uh, so, point B, in our immediate context, Jesus did not say this, but it is stated, it is the stated destination to where he was going in the broader context. Also, in John 14, 28, we also want to note that when Jesus says he's going away, going away where? To the Father's house, right? Going to the Father. Verse 28, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater. Notice, uh, he's going to the Father. So it's there. It's throughout the, you know, his discourse. So the disciples are helping us understand what parts they understood and what parts they didn't. I would say mostly they didn't understand much. Uh, and that's why we thank God we have it in writing. And thank God the Holy Spirit was able to remind them of the things that they heard Jesus say. Point C. So remember the disciples were getting ready to go on this emotional roller coaster. Just remember that because none of us would have to suffer that. We can look back on the death, the burial, the resurrection. And you know, the death is not like the sting of death. Uh, they didn't understand death in that sense. But death is final. Right? Even for us now, we know that there is a resurrection. But if somebody dies, well, all bets are off. That's it. That person's gone. There is no, well, in three days he might rise. No, we would not say that. Or, yeah, he's dead. However, he might come back next month. He will not come back next month. Death is final. The disciples understood that from a different perspective than we do. Because Jesus had not been raised from the dead. The subject of resurrection, yes, they may have understood it, but it wasn't like we have the knowledge of how Jesus conquered death and the sting of death. So they were getting ready to go through that. When we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's all positive for us. In fact, we're, we talk about his death, and, and that death brought about our redemption. He paid for us. He, he redeemed us by his own blood. And we talk about death in those terms, but death is not something pleasant for the disciples. It wasn't, and it was not pleasant for Jesus necessarily, that he had to go through physical death. It, it was something that was painful, that, was, uh, that caused him to suffer. But he, he was glad to present himself as the lamb brought to, the, to, to his shears. He, he was glad to suffer that for the joy that was set before him. So th this emotional roller coaster, as I, I'm just pointing out, 
is was large for them. I mean, they've been following Jesus around. Not only did they have all of their, you know, they left their businesses, their families. In cases, they left their wives. Uh, they left their reputations with with Jesus. I mean, if he dies, and they're the ones who were following him around, what does that say about them? Is he, was if he was an imposter, then they were following an imposter for all these years. It was their reputation, and you know they would have had to go back to the temple and all of that uh, because they were wrong. But no, that's not the case. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So, just we think about death, burial, and resurrection, but we don't think about it from the standpoint of what they went through. Point D, let's move forward. Jesus would not go to the Father until after his ascension. Now, this is a point of contention, I know, for some people. Because they'll say, oh yeah, when Jesus was resurrected, he had to go to the Father and present himself or something. But... From what we understand, at least from John 14, 1 through 3, where it talks about, uh, you know, I'm going to the Father's house. You know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, it's not that he just went there, you know, said, okay, I, I'm resurrected. Here I am. Let me present uh, myself before you. And then let me head on back down because I got, uh, I got to hang out with the disciples for more time. I, I, 40 days before Pentecost comes. No, I think... Jesus did not ascend to the Father because the ascension is a part of, um, you, know, we, you know, the process of Christ going to the Father and being received into heaven as the victor. Right? Uh, and so we think about his death, we think about burial, resurrection, ascension, and session is what we say because uh, he, he is now seated with in heavenly places, for us. He is interceding for us. He's in session now in the heavenlies, right now, in the heavenly places. So this is part of what Jesus would do. It doesn't say he would hang out in heaven and then come back to earth and then go back to heaven and then go back. No, nope, <clears throat> it just talks about him going to the Father's house and when he goes to the Father's house, it talks about how he would send the Spirit back. I know some people, and I know Catholics in general, have some view that Christ had to take his blood and take it to heaven and all this stuff. But that is not what I find in Scripture. In fact, if we go to Acts, uh, let's look at this. Uh, Acts chapter 1, here, uh, verse uh, 3, it says, After his suffering... It says he presented himself to them, and, he's, and when he says to them, he's talking about to the disciples and others as well, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So if anything, he didn't go show himself to the Father. He showed himself to the disciples and those who followed him and those who knew him. I mean, think about those disciples who were on the Emmaus Road. Uh, they talked about, yeah, well, who are you, you, you know, you don't know about what happened? Are you some stranger that just came to town? Don't you realize that they, Jesus, you know, was crucified and all of this, right? So that was, if you look at Luke 24, you can read the account of those who were on the Emmaus Road and how Christ joined them. And so they, it, was, it was pretty clear that Christ was there uh, and he was showing himself alive. He appeared to them over a period, here, here it says right here, he, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So I think it is not just the 12, but he showed himself to others as well. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians that he showed himself to over 500 people. They saw Christ, right? Listen, this was not something that was hidden or that it was only revealed to some it was revealed to a lot of people that Christ was alive. Jesus was alive. He was resurrected from the dead. And then if we look at verses 8 through 11, it says, uh, well, they asked the question, what about dates and 
times that the Father has set by his own authority. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to tell you about that. But verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, after he said this, here it says, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky and as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So I, when I look at this, it just seems to me that uh, Jesus would ascend to the Father when um, it was time for him to ascend. He was with them for 40 days, and he would appear at various places and encourage the, the disciples and the believers. Uh, and, and that was the point of it all. And when he went to the Father, he says, I'm going to the Father, and if I don't go to the Father, then I won't be able to send the Comforter. So I think it all sort of works out that Jesus went uh, and ascended into heaven. The disciples saw him, and then 10 days later, the Spirit came at Pentecost. So that's the, that's the uh, chronological order of events. So let's keep going, because we still have some more to go. Point number three. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he, was, what he is saying. So, in other words, first of all, they didn't want to understand. That's the first thought, right? Because, I mean, when the news is bad, they're looking for a different outcome. So even though Jesus is saying this, and, and I've read, there's been time, other scriptures where it says, and it was the meaning of what Christ was saying was hidden from them. I should have brought those scriptures so you could read them. One's in Luke, one's in Mark. But basically they're saying that the disciples were really befuddled by this information. Even though Christ was talking about his death and how that was all going to happen. Remember, it totally cut across what they were thinking. So instead of them saying, oh, so this is a new point of truth for us to apprehend here. You know, they were saying, well, I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't know how you could say that. I mean, what do you mean? The Messiah is going to die? I just don't understand how that could work. No, we don't see that happening. And a perfect example of this is in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And then you know, the disciples got a chance to weigh in because Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then after a little bit, Jesus said, okay, I, first of all, I, let me tell you the rest of it. Since you, you got that right, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. And then uh, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Peter was like, wait a minute. I would imagine Peter cut him off. Because it says he rebuked him. He cut him off. He says, hold on. <laughs> Don't talk about that happening to you. It is not going to go down like that. So it, Jesus had to say, get thee behind me. Listen to me, thee, King James. You get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in your heart, the things of men, but the things of, uh, you don't have in your heart the things of God, but the things of men. So in other words, Peter could not grapple with the thought of losing Christ. These were things that were right there in scripture for us. So they kept asking and, and they were interrupting Jesus. This is point A, but why didn't they just ask him? You know, I, I think about it that way. I mean, if they were going to have side conversations and all of that, when Jesus is the one who said it, why not ask? Again, in those other scriptures, it says they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid. And um, that was part of the respect that they had for Jesus. But also, 
uh, that respect, I think, is unfounded to some degree. Because yes, while we can respect him, Jesus wanted them to ask more questions about these events that were happening. In fact, if I go back to John chapter 16, in those verses, where verse 5, he says, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief, because I said these things. This is John 16, 5 and 6. Uh, this, is, this is typical, right? This is how the disciples understood it. None of them were asking the pertinent questions, right? Jesus wanted to enter conversations with them. So if we have such respect for God that we say, oh, shut your mouth, don't ask God anything, don't quiet, don't say anything, that is not where God is. That's not the kind of reverence he wants. He wants to interact with us. He wants to reason with us so that we can be transformed into his image. That is the thought. And, and so I, I would say for us, we should have a healthy respect for God, a reverence for God. But that should not supersede what questions we have. I mean, we should not be arrogant and about, you know, the place that we have. Like God has sovereign free will. We just have free will. We have to understand our the limitations that we have and the place that God has given us. But given that, ask away. That's what Christ was saying. Ask. You haven't asked anything. Ask away. And that's what they should have been doing. So, but they were interrupting. I would have said, listen, you know, let's get these questions out so Jesus can get back to the discourse. So why didn't they just ask him? I don't know. I, I, it says they were afraid to ask him. It says these things, the true meaning of this was hidden from them. But I think that's where the disciples were at the, in that space. Point B. We have the spirit of truth in us. They and, and just imagine, they had the way, the truth, and the life with them. And that was John 14, 6. Jesus was there. He could have answered whatever questions that they could bear. He would have figured out exactly what they could handle, and he would have given them answers to whatever it was. So that That is, now, if... I know you know John 14, 6, which I sort of just quoted, but what about 1 John 5, 20? Let's look at that. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I mean, there's literally nothing that the Father has that he has not deposited in the person of Christ. Everything, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. And we are in him as well. So there's nothing that God is hiding from us. In fact, he's given us transparency, even to a degree that no other human being has ever had with God. So, ask away whatever you want to know. Point C, they confessed. This is what they were saying. We don't know. We don't understand. They confessed that we don't know what he is saying. This is a good place for the disciples. And when I say a good place, I mean, I, I, I do wish that they would have asked the questions they had or directed them to Jesus. But no, they were asking each other. Eventually, Jesus has to say, yeah, I hear you guys talk, and I, I know what you're asking, and I know you want to ask me this, so let me just tell you. So that's what eventually happens. We'll get to that next week, but the disciples, sort of in a roundabout way, were, were trying to get the question answered, but not in the way that uh, they should have, in my opinion. It's good to, to confess what you don't know, because that's good. I mean, because when you confess that you don't know something, you are in a position to learn. That's what it is. So God will never hold it against us if we tell him we don't know about something. His goal is always to teach. So it's being embarrassed that you don't know something or 
that's the only reason I can imagine they didn't want to raise that to Christ. It's because they were embarrassed, maybe. We have to put that aside. And that's point D. It does not matter who is right or wrong on the way to truth. If you come to understand truth, that is the goal. So if you're worried about who was right and who was wrong, did I say this or I said this before, you'd said this before or whatever, you didn't say this, listen, that's not even the point. The point is, do we understand truth? Because being right or wrong on the way to get to truth, listen, that's not the issue here. And you are going to be on both sides of that. Yeah, maybe you did say that. And maybe you, you said what was wrong as well. It's not about right or wrong. It's about getting to the knowledge of the truth. If you get that, it doesn't matter. I mean, look, I, I could liken this to how many times did you deny the gospel of grace? You could, you're going to say, well, I believed it the first time I heard it. Yeah, okay, maybe you did. But most people, when they hear the gospel of grace, they reject it. They're on the wrong side. We're born on the wrong side when it comes to the gospel of grace. We have to believe the bad news, and then we have to come to believe the good news. So it's, never mind about that. You know what really is important? That we, we're saved. We got saved by grace. And no matter what the struggle was going back and forth, we got saved. Let's think of in terms of in terms of outcomes here. Like, what are we trying to understand here? We're trying to get to the truth according to the word of truth. So, if you come to understand truth, remember that is the goal moving forward. Humility is the place of learning, not arrogance or refusing to admit our ignorance. That's what is truly the place of learning. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. Let's look at that. Hopefully that will speak to us about what was the priority of God. So Matthew 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Wow, it's interesting that they would ask such a question. Uh, this is the answer we get. From Jesus, excuse me. He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like this little, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So the story here is about humility. Right? He, he, who's the greatest? And here are all these men standing around with their chest poked out and, you know, with their Bibles in their hands and, you know, and their heritage and their pedigree about who they're, what tribe they're from and all this. And Jesus brings a child. A child probably that they would say, get away from us. We're busy. You know, go play somewhere. Jesus brings a child and stands that child among them and says, this is how I want you to behave with the humility of this child. That is a lesson of humility that those disciples, I would have hoped, would understand. Instead of uh, them talking about who's the greatest, right? who's, who's the greatest? In fact, can I, sit, can, can I sit on your right hand when you come into your kingdom? And the mother petitioning Jesus to have her sons sit at his right and left hand. I mean, the disciples were certainly not thinking about what was important to God. It was, it was more about what was important to them. Point F, humility is the perfect soil. We need to grow up in grace, knowledge, and wisdom. Now think about it that way. When If we were going to, you know, think about the, the sower. He went out to sow and he threw seeds in all these different places. Some of the seeds uh, did not have a good soil foundation and they were along the roadway and other seeds, uh, they threw them and birds ate them. But then there were seeds that hit the, the soil and uh, 
this was the perfect soil for them to grow, and then they grew up into and and, and had a crop, and so forth. And you know the story. So, but when we think about the growing in grace, which is a spiritual analogy, what do we need in order for those seeds to germinate and to grow? We need humility. It is the perfect soil. How are you going to get knowledge and wisdom? Listen, none of the knowledge and wisdom come from us. It all comes from God. And humility just says, God, enrich me. God, make me. Make me what you want me to be. Right. And, and we talked about the analogy of John 15, where it talks about what Christ says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, then and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. And this is about humility, you know, accepting the new information that is coming, right? Don't frown up uh, your face about this new information and say how you can't believe it and no way would this be true. You've got to allow God to teach us through, as he demonstrates, through signs, wonders, and miracles. And how you know, like Nicodemus, we know that God is here. Because nobody can do the things that you do except God is there with him. We understand God has shown up here. So um, that's point F. We need humility. Uh, it is one of those things that uh, you cannot grow without it. Point G. God's priorities may not be our priorities. It takes a measure of spiritual growth to understand this. And that's so, because we talked about spiritual childhood and what children are interested in, and so it is with the spiritual life. So spiritual growth, here's a, a, an equation, mathematical equation. Spiritual growth is equal to the spirit of truth's guidance in your life, and right? You, you're allowing the spirit to teach you. That's what is going to bear on your spiritual growth. You want to have spiritual growth? Well, how humble are you when it comes to allowing the Spirit to teach you and guide you? That's the measure of your spiritual growth. And, you know, when we say the Spirit of Truth guidance, we're not just talking about, uh, you know, how well you know the Mosaic Law or how well you know Israel or anything. Because, you know, what the Spirit of Truth is teaching us was not found in those scriptures. It wasn't found in, in those times. It was hid in God. So what is being revealed to us is what the Father's eternal purpose is all about. That's what the Spirit of Truth is doing here. So, uh, point H. The goal of the Spirit of Truth is not to make your life better or to make you a better person. Now, I know I, I could stop here just to say, listen, by you fulfilling your purpose, it will be better. You, your life will be better. Now, maybe not better from your standpoint, but it, it will. But I'm just saying this from the perspective of the person, right? What do most people want? Well, I want a good life. I want, my, I want to live my best life. I want to get that job. I want to have that business. I want to have all the money I could possibly need in life or want. And I could fulfill my life. I can do what I want to do, right? This is how people think about their lives. But the, the spirit of truth, that's not why he's here, to make you have a better life. It is to save us. This is his goal, to save us and lead and guide us into all truth. That's the, the goal of the spirit. Remember I said before, our priorities are not necessarily God's priorities. So 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. I, I would think we would want to know what that is if we want to do what pleases God. Well, well, we, here's what pleases him. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Very encapsulated there in that scripture is the will of God for our lives here. So point I, got questions? God's got answers. Persist until you have 
the answers as well. And I, I think about if I wanted to throw scripture into here, it would be Hebrews chapter 11, where it says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Right? And this is allowing God to reveal himself to us uh, through the spirit of truth. He will reward us greatly with his wisdom and knowledge of the deep things of God. The very heart of God will be revealed to us as we persist in wanting to know him. And wanting to know him is a factor of humility. In each of us, we need that humility so that we can grow up and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we can talk about maturity. We can talk about who's the greatest. We could talk about all that. But you know what I want to talk about? Humility. Because if you know something, it's because God, the Holy Spirit, endured, persisted with you in order to get you to know it. It's nothing about us. It's about what God has done, what he's equipped us with in the first place. So we're going to have to continue with this thought next week, but we can see the struggles the disciples were having. Much like the struggles of today, where the church age is out here, but it is not being embraced. And to that extent, people are rejecting the spirit of truth, because that's the only reason the spirit of truth is here, is to reveal this information. So I will pray that all of us will not only continue to express the humility, the diligence to want to know more, to know him better, but that the church at large, universal, will also have that spirit of wisdom and revelation as well. We'll bow our heads. Uh, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we've had to focus our attention on your word again this week. We thank you for those who are here, who have joined us. And Father, as before we conclude, we just want to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can know you better. We can know your plan. That we can understand the deep things of God. That the depth that you have given us about who you are, how you have transparently revealed yourself to us and given us the wisdom and knowledge we need to come to the full knowledge of the truth, to the fullness and stature of Christ. So, Father, we pray that we will have the necessary humility where we are curious. We want to know what your plan is so we can come to this knowledge and fulfill the role that you have uh, called us to from eternity past. So we thank you for this church where we can talk about these things. And uh, these things are more commonplace. We're, we're so grateful that we can open our mouths and speak without worrying about being ashamed of questions or what we don't know, but that it is important to come to know the truth. And that is the only measure of importance and priority that we have in this church. So we thank you for that and for uh, this platform. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.